Hello and welcome to the Stack Magazine's podcast. My name is Stephen Watson, I'm the founder of Stack, and this week I'm speaking with Luke Hinson, the editor of Between Borders, the new magazine that aims to straddle some of the dislocations that are currently dividing Britain. As he explains, the project began in 2017 and it was inspired in large part by the fallout from the Brexit votes. And after publishing online for a couple of years and gradually figuring out their editorial voice, they've released their first print issue themed around transit. It's a canny theme for a magazine that itself travels around cities and towns and villages to try and form bonds and associations with the people it meets along the way. And I'm very pleased to say we have some copies on sale in the Stack Shop. Uh, You can head over to stackmagazines.com forward slash shop if you want to see more information on that and some spreads and of course pick up a copy for yourself. But first I hope you'll enjoy this conversation with Luke Hinson. Luke, thanks so much for coming over. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks for having me. I've um, been following Stack Podcast for a while, so it's a pleasure to be here. Oh, amazing. That's very nice to hear. Um, so you are um, the man behind a new magazine, Between Borders, mm-hmm. and I want to start by reading out a, a little line from your introduction, mm-hmm. um, which runs, the country we live in is as divided as it has been in my lifetime, and our goal from the outset has been to bring people together. So, tell me first of all mm-hmm. about these divisions. Like, what, what, what was the real motivating factor that made you want to start making this? Right. So, I mean, for us it dates back to around 2017. It's myself and Tom, who we co-founded the magazine together, we were kind of talking about how media these days feels either A, extremely clickbaity, or B, really divisive around identity politics. But it always seemed that whenever identity politics was brought up, it was only ever used from one side of the argument. So from the outset, our thinking was, why can't we try and harness identity politics or find a way to talk about identity in a way that brings people together rather than divides us? That's been our major goal from the outset. And so 2017, I'm guessing that Brexit is pretty fundamental in this. Yeah, 100%. And there's been various kind of unfurling since that have just reinforced our viewpoint on this. And I mean, particularly the most recent general election for us, that just kind of reinforced what we wanted to do. And it's this idea that, especially within creative scenes, I feel like in London, there is this idea of a bubble and an echo chamber. And it's that often people's ideas and thoughts aren't travelling across the country. There's not a conversation or a dialogue going on between people from different backgrounds. We're just kind of talking to people with the same perspectives, the same viewpoints. So for us in our work and in this first issue, what we wanted to do was to kind of travel the country and have conversations with people, artists, creative, but also just everyday people in cities, in countryside towns, in villages, everywhere up and down the country to try and heal that sense of a divide. And so what did you find? So you, you went off on your travels. Well, mm-hmm. What did you bring back? So we, we brought back a lot, a lot of conversations. There were um, hours and hours and hours of transcribing to be done from this issue. But it was a really enjoyable process because it felt like we were actually having meaningful conversations. Um, 
the idea behind this issue was to explore the theme of transit because it's something that's ubiquitous. We all have a relationship with transport in one way or another, be it your daily commute, your trip to the shops, your first car you drove when you were 17. Um, And by using that as a platform, as a theme to dig into identity, it immediately gave us a kind of apparatus to speak to people. So because everyone has a relationship with transport, we immediately had an in, we immediately had a way to show that there's a lot more that we have in common. There's a lot more that despite where you are from in the country where you live, we have far more that brings us together than what divides us. And transit was just one of the many ways in which we could do that. And so that may, I mean, maybe this defeats the purpose of what you're trying to do because you're trying to present this nuanced uh, vision of Britain as it stands today. But coming back from those travels, did you get anything... Did anything emerge as like a theme or or something that that sort of rose to the top through these conversations? I guess for us it's the idea that um, whilst we there's so much subconscious activity that goes on around your formulation of who you are as an individual. So we'd speak to model rail enthusiasts in the village of Taunton in Somerset and we'd find out by speaking to them that because they care so deeply about model rails that kind of becomes who they are as a person but they're not so necessarily conscious of that and that they're engaging with Facebook groups that are just about model rail and they're engaging with you know buying publications that only speak on model rail so it was this idea that there are echo chambers but they exist for everyone And it's not that there's just our one necessarily prevailing liberal bubble chamber in London. It's that everybody interacts with their own forms of media. So it seems like more than now, more than ever, there's a need to try and bridge these gaps and chambers and echo chambers and try and actually speak to people who hold different viewpoints than your own to challenge your own viewpoints, to challenge their viewpoints and to come to agreement. And so I guess part of that then is probably... You're going in search of people who are going to challenge the things that you think. Which ones did you find did that in the most extreme way? Which were the ones where you actually really surprised at the interactions that you had? Um, I'd say for us, the most grisly ones we had may be in Glasgow. Uh, So we did a feature on the old firm Derby between Rangers and Celtic. But for us... The animosity that we were met with was not because of what we were trying to do or the message that we were spreading. It was the fact that I think football fans in that city feel some kind of animosity to media that often depict them as being violent and savage and being, you know, not the passionate football fans that they are. There's misinformation and caricatures that go on for Glaswegian football fans. So that's what we were met with. And what surprised me about that was after we had a brief two, three-minute conversation with them, it was all smiles, it was all hugs once they knew what we were trying to do. They were the warmest people. They were the friendliest people I sat. I went to Ibrox for the first 45 minutes of the game to speak to Rangers fans outside the game and then found myself sat in a Celtic pub in Glasgow for the next four hours with fans singing and drinking pints of Guinness. But yeah, it's a, it was a really, really interesting experience because I went there with probably some preconceptions that had been reinforced by media, but then just got to meet some of the most amazing people I've met in the formation of this issue, and that was just at a football game. So, And so then, I mean, I imagine that walking up to somebody 
uh, outside uh, Ibrox when they're mm. on the way into the, the, the ground there's a frisson of danger there maybe or like you know kind of a bit of anxiety from mm. your part but it's relatively easy to do that. I mean you can just stand there and speak to people yeah which were the ones that you found it was actually more difficult to get in and mm. the and to to kind of penetrate that community mm-hmm. um I actually to be honest didn't find much difficulty with any of them because I think people are so ready to just talk I think people in this day and age are really just we have so few real life interactions and everything is conducted online and a personally I think that now whenever you're willing to actually sit down and talk to someone about what they're passionate about and that was so beautiful about this issue is we got to speak to people about their passions so of course they're going to want to open up and talk my ear off for hours and on, on end about it um but for me, one of the ones I was most nervous about was perhaps the Ace Cafe going to speak to bikers because, again, it was this kind of preconception I had. But they were some of the friendliest people. I mean, I sat in the cafe, I had a couple of coffees with people afterwards, was just walking around talking to them about their career with bikes. And, yeah, I took some of their Facebooks, maintained in contact with some people from the model rail enthusiast steam train fanatics that I've spoken to. It's It's nice. I've kind of expanded my own echo chamber on Facebook now and it feels like what's set out as a project that wasn't necessarily so personal has become so. Reading through the magazine one of the things that struck me is I think you needed more space. I think that you came back from these journeys with so much stuff that you wanted to get a bit of everyone's stories in there Mm. but so for example there's um, there's a piece called Into the Hind uh, which is describing the liminal spaces around the M25. Mm-hmm. So the like these, um, I guess a, a lot of the time it's like underpasses. Mm-hmm. So you can see like the M25, the roadways above you, and you've got this quiet little sort of like stream or something. And you you describe the process of how those photographs were taken and these like very long exposures and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh my, yeah, yes, amazing. And then it's done in like a page. And I I, I want to see more like the so like. Is this is this a project that you can see growing, becoming bigger, becoming a bit more lavish? Mm-hmm. I mean, we were constrained by a few things, and I guess the biggest one of that as an independent publisher doing our first magazine was the financial capital. So for us, we were kind of limited by the amount of pages that we could produce and the kind of stitching that we could use, and then that thus also put a cap on the pages we could use. Um, we worked with some great um, printers in Leeds called HBA Print, and they were just so helpful. Really let us push as much content in as we could without, you know, maybe being detrimental towards the quality of the final product or maybe having pages falling out because we'd crammed too much in. But for sure, we've what we've learned from this now is that what seemed like at the start we were going to struggle to have enough content now feels like we could have produced a single issue zine on every feature that we did. And our our ambitions moving forward are to kind of dedicate a bit more in the actual magazine itself, but use inserts, kind of separate broadsheet newspaper to let content live by itself as well as in a project. Because I feel like when you can come back to something that's its own project, that's its own tangible artifact it gives you so much more of a relationship with that and you can 
pick it up, it's tactile. It's not just a couple of pages that you flick through and then it's done. So yeah, I'm, I'm constantly pushing to find more ways that we can delve into the content that we grab. Because it's such a shame that you you leave behind so much. There's so much that you're unable to cram into the pages and it just seems really, I don't know, just it, it almost pains me to know that there's so much that we're not putting in. But I mean, I guess that's part of growing. That's part of the first issue and, and learning where to take it from there. And ultimately, it's always part of making a magazine. So, I mean, the part of the point of a mag is that you've got a finite number of pages mm. that you can fill. The, so, am I right in saying that Beyond Borders started online? Yeah, so we originally were a platform that ran for about two years as an online space, and we used that to kind of begin to form this identity of digging into stories that pertain to people's personal identity. We spoke to musicians, directors, artists um, about their work, their craft, how identity played into that. And it was really formative for us in knowing what approach you wanted to take. So another thing was that we didn't want to rush it. We didn't want to feel like, right, we've started a magazine, we've started a platform, now we need to make the first issue. We wanted to make sure we had a voice and an identity as a brand, both visually as well, that we felt was robust enough to put into print, to put into an issue. We didn't want to rush it, basically. We wanted to give each narrative, each story, the time and dedication that it deserves. And so one of the obvious differences between publishing online and in print is, mm. as we've said, the amount of stuff you can put in there. I mean, a web page can go on yeah. for as long as you want it to. You've put as many images as you like in there. Yeah. What else have you found to be the differences between publishing online and in print? It just feels so much more gratifying to hold something in your hands that you've kind of put together because myself I don't come from a creative background I um, I'm a researcher and a writer and I haven't necessarily had the same experience in producing physical prints that say my co-founder Tom has um, but for me just the first time seeing and holding and being able to flick through and even just the smell of the ink on the paper it was it's it's a completely different world mm. and whilst digital is a completely different beast it's very easy I think to fall out of love with it because it feels as you said you can put as many pictures and it can go on for as long as you want but because it's endless it's kind of hard to put a finite point of when you're happy with something or a finite point on when to stop whereas with print you have those limitations you have those parameters put in for you so you're forced to work to that it gives you something to to work towards but it also pushes you to make your craft better because you know right I have to make this as concise as informative but also as descriptive and powerful and punchy as possible and there comes a day where you just have to send that thing to print and yeah. <laughs> that's it yeah. yeah yeah I mean that that process for us was definitely a big learning one <laughs> I mean we had to push back we almost missed our delivery slot we had a launch on the 6th of February and we had the magazines delivered on the afternoon of the 6th of February Ooh. because we'd missed our previous two print slots with final tweaks and yeah. So yeah, learning, we've, we've kind of put procedures in place for next time to know when we need to send things off, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, you wouldn't have been the first magazine to have a launch without the magazine actually at the launch. <laughs> that, that does happen sometimes. So 
looking ahead then so you started with transit mm-hmm. and I, I can totally see how that's a natural thing because you wanted to travel the country and mm-hmm. so then transit lends itself to that mm-hmm. where do you go from here we have our next issue kind of in the works already we've been ideating it for the last couple of months because it just doesn't seem to stop um but we are going to be exploring a theme of closure so we're going to be looking at communities up and down the country where infrastructure retail or even just your local pub your youth club has closed down and it's left a void in that community to kind of explore how people feel and can feel left behind in those circumstances and the impact that has on their view of their own identity Mm. so yeah I mean really excited we've been pulling out locations already pulling out where we want to go communities we want to speak to and beginning that process of reaching out to people it's interesting when you first said closure I took the psychotherapeutic route of Mm -hmm. like okay I'm gonna like get some closure on this now but okay all right I can I can see how that would would work quite nicely in there so in a sense you've come to the end of the process with this first issue but in a way you're actually just really starting on it because now you've made the magazine Mm -hmm. you need to actually get it out there in front of people so how are you going about that challenge of making sure that people see it? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's a completely different process and it's something that we, myself and Tom, had no idea about before embarking on it, but it's a learning process as anything is with an independent print venture. But I'm enjoying it. I mean, we've been, we obviously have our own presence online. We've managed to build a community up over the last two years, so we have the fortunate nature of having a platform that we can push it through to our readers but again a lot of what we want to do is about reaching new people and having conversations with people who haven't necessarily seen our work before so I've been kind of emailing stockists I've been going out and reaching to dropping magazines physical copies in store up and down the country just to try and get that initial wave going um been talking to a couple of distributors seeing if that's the route we should go down as well but just basically trying everything I can do to get it out to as many people as possible. Well, I know that that is a a big struggle. So I'm very pleased that we've got some copies in Mm -hmm. the stack shop so people can obviously find them in there. Looking back on this whole project, so everything you've done so far, what do you wish you'd been able to do differently? Mm. I wish that we'd been able to give the magazine more space and time I wish we'd been able to give it a few more pages. I wish we'd been able to have worked a little longer on some parts of it and had more time to kind of digest the stories and, you know, present them fully. But there's, I think, that we're always going to have that. That feeling's always going to be there and you're always going to wish for more time. I think we're fortunate enough to have a team of collaborators and artists who work with us who really pushed us to be as efficient and productive but also as visually stimulating as possible it's been a huge learning process for all of us I've really enjoyed being able to get back to grips with my photography and diving into that aspect of the magazine so it's been as much of a learning experience as it has been a kind of formative one for us and going forwards I just see this being a process that keeps getting more and more enjoyable because we're getting to do things that we love we're getting to talk to people who are passionate about things so I mean, when you talk to people with passion, it's, it's, it's more inspiring than anything else. 
Absolutely. And how long are you giving yourself for this? Because obviously this is a, a thing about first issues is mm. with the first one, you kind of got as long as you want, as long yeah. as you need. Whereas the second one, are, are you on a publishing schedule already? We have a kind of penciled in date. We want to be basically publishing each issue at the same time of each year. So we're going to be on an annual basis uh, in February of each year, kind of a annual roundup coffee table kind of magazine. But yeah, I mean... Bearing in mind that we didn't start a lot of the ideation for the last issue in August of last year, I'm I'm really happy that we're getting a bit of a head start on it now in February, and it just feels like we've learned a lot, and we can Im- like definitely implement that moving forwards. Good for you. We'll keep that pace up, and we'll look forward to seeing the next one in February next year. Hopefully. <laughs> Okay, that's all for this week. I'd like to say thanks again to Luke for coming over and speaking to me. And I really hope that he and Tom can keep the momentum going and give themselves a full year's run up to the next print issue. Remember, you can pick up copies of Between Borders from the Stack Shop. Just go to stackmagazines.com forward slash shop. And of course, while you're there, check out our subscription too. We deliver a different independent magazine every month to thousands of readers all around the world. You never know what we're going to send out next, but you do know it will be a beautiful, intelligent magazine that you probably wouldn't otherwise have come across. Before I finish this week, I'd like to say a quick thanks to everyone who's been in touch with us to say nice things about the podcast. Uh, David and Cecilia via email and Ayumi on Twitter. It was lovely to hear from all of you over the last few days. So thanks very much for taking the time to let us know what you think. Um, As you can probably tell, this is very much a personal project of mine. So it's brilliant to hear from listeners. If you have something you'd like to say, please drop me a line on steve at stackmagazines.com or of course you can get us at Stack Magazines on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. Thank you very much for listening to this one and we'll be back with another episode next week.